Good morning. Carter, could you do me a favor? Once I finish the uh, prayer of illumination, could you leave it up there for a minute or two? Because Karen's not here to do one of these on me. <laughs> so you know what that means. Yes. <laughs> okay. Let us ask, say in unison the prayer of gracious God, help us to live in community that finds contentment not in things, but in our relationship with you. We offer you thanksgiving for all you have given us. Lead us to be good stewards of our resources, of time, talent, and treasure, so that you might be a blessing to others. Your word teaches us and helps us to grow in righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. We are grateful. Amen. The reason I ask that we keep, we didn't keep it up there, but anyway. <laughs> there you go, the first slide. There we go. Um, there are what are called the three T's of tithing up there. Time, you should be giving 10% of your time to God weekly. 10% of your talent, and 10% of your treasure, which I always find Jesus using that word treasure to describe our possessions. I have a fourth one, by the way, but I won't go into that because it's going to take too long. <laughs> Let us look to the scripture, because the good Lord decided that this was my week once we saw this scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 12. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that purge people into ruin and destruction. For the selfish love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Some other uh, uh, Bibles will use the word uh, sorrows instead of pains, um, but anyway, I, I like the word sorrows. But as for you, man of God, that's Timothy, shun all this, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and endurance, and gentleness. They left out the word and and everything. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you have been called, for which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Okay. And we close with thanks. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks, Richard. <laughs> this week we will continue our sermon series on generosity. Last week we talked about worry and the fact that what you focus on, good job. 
If we focus on what is wrong or what is missing in our lives, then we will continue to see what is wrong and what is missing in our lives. If we focus on how God has blessed us, on all of the things that are right in our lives, then we will continue to see the blessings around us. Today, we will talk about being content. Can you think of a time in your life when you were truly content? That moment when you look around yourselves and all seems right in your world. When you exhale all of the stress that you've been holding. There's nothing to worry about in this moment. Nothing to fret over. Just peace and contentment. Can you recall such a time? What brought about the feeling of contentedness within you? I recall a time that I felt content. Dominic was young. He was participating in a baseball camp at the Toledo Mud Hens Stadium. At the end of the camp, they invited the families down onto the field to be with the young players and the Mud Hens players that were working with them. And so David and I and David's youngest daughter, Alyssa, walked down onto the field. The grass felt like the plushest carpeting I'd ever felt. I took my shoes off because I wanted to walk on it. I remember just walking on this pristine, plush grass, and, and I was watching Dominic and Alyssa playing catch, throwing the ball back and forth, and the sky was a brilliant blue. It was just crisp. You know those days? And the clouds were the perfect, puffiest white that I'd ever seen, and there was a slight breeze, and I, I felt the wind on my face, and I remember looking to the sky and thinking, thank you, God, for this moment. It just seemed perfect. See, the thing about that feeling of content, that feeling of peace is you can't buy that. You can't purchase it. There's no contentment store. I wish there were. My feelings of bliss and peace and contentedness came from the people that I was with. It came from the experience of where I was, of seeing my kids throwing the ball back and forth. It came from the moment I was in, and it came from the gratitude I felt. Sometimes we get so caught up in the race that we miss moments like these, precious moments where our peace just is, is so filled within us. It was a good moment, and I recognized the blessing of it, and I thanked God for the privilege of just being. We... We lose sight of that sometimes in our rush around. We lose track of the simple pleasures in life, the ordinary moments that get missed in our pursuit of big things. Scripture warns us against this. As we read what Paul is writing to, uh, to Timothy, we hear words of warning from the seasoned disciple. He's coaching his student on how to keep himself focused on what is truly important. Richard read from one translation of the scripture already this morning and made reference to other words that are used. I want you to hear these teaching words from the message translation. Some, sometimes I love the message, sometimes the message doesn't resonate with me. 
But it is a translation by Eugene Peterson. Brilliant man. And Eugene Peterson translates these verses in this way. A devout life does bring wealth, but it is the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. And I stopped right there. What do we consider wealth? Monetary success, riches, things, power, independence, control. But what does scripture say that true wealth is? A devout life does bring wealth, but it is the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. Being, it doesn't say being your best self before God. It says being yourself before God. If ever there were a sentence that encapsulated what grace is, this is an amazing grace-filled sentence. The idea that you can be yourself, your true authentic self with all of your gifts and with all of your faults with your best intentions and your worst ideas, with the thoughts that you share and the things that you should never speak. All of that, all of that wrapped up in one package, in the package that is you, and by God's grace, you can stand before God and be uniquely you, fully you and fully loved. That is the gospel. That is God's grace. That is to be truly rich, to be fully known and fully loved. And there are so many in this life that don't understand what this grace is. There are so many in this life that feel as if they have to hide the darkest parts of themselves, that they're not worthy of accepting this redeeming grace offered by Jesus. There are so many of us that don't even know who we are much less stand in our own uniqueness before our Lord God. There are so many of us who play confident. I'm fine. There's so many of us who play Christian. There are many of us who don't understand the fullness of God's grace, that it changes us from the inside out, that we don't have to pretend to be perfect we don't have to pretend to be anything. We don't have to pretend to be better. We don't have to pretend to be fine. We don't have to pretend to be worthy of Jesus because if we could ensure our own worthiness, then we wouldn't need a savior. The last thing that Jesus wants for us is to be pretenders. God knit us together to be who we are, wonderfully and fearfully made, yet we often strive to be what we think the world calls us to be. We often get our priorities mixed up out of order. But this word reminds us that we entered into this world totally penniless, is how Eugene Peterson translates it, totally penniless, and we will leave penniless. No matter what riches we amass in this life, we will leave with absolutely nothing. But I don't think that's true. Not nothing. We will leave with what God gifted to us. We will leave with our very selves, shined up by grace. And when we leave, when we stand before God, when we stand in the rich simplicity of just 
being us before the God who designed us, I believe God will ask us what the fruit of our lives is. I believe that as we stand before God, wrapped in the richness of God's grace, because that's the only way we get to stand there. If we have accepted the gracious salvation gift offered by Jesus, as we stand there, God will look at his child and will say, what did you do with what I gave you? I want to be able to stand there before my God, fully known and fully loved. And I want to tell God that I, I kept my wits about me, mostly. Mostly in this life, I kept my priorities straight. And that I worked according to your purpose for me. I tried to do what you wanted me to do. I fell flat on my face a whole bunch of times. But I get an A for effort, I hope. Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to live according to God's purpose. And when we live according to God's purpose, that allows God to use us to help make good come of all things. There's a lot of bad in the world. We're surrounded by it all the time. But what you focus on will grow. We're surrounded, but we are called to be agents of God's goodness. That's the very work of the church, the very work of Christians. We are called to be available. We are called to be ready. We're called to be watchful and waiting for God to use us. I joke around about it all the time, uh, especially in the group that meets in Republic in the evening. I say we should live as, you know, when I wake up every morning, it's, it's not pretty. I don't want to do it. I hit snooze as many times as possible until the very last moment where catastrophic things will happen if I do not get out of bed. I will be late, people will be angry, and I know that. I'm smart, I went to college. And I lay there and barter with my alarm clock. Well, my hair doesn't, won't look that bad. Look at it. We joke around, but I say we're called to live with a spirit of expectancy. What are we gonna do today, God? What are we gonna do? Oh, buddy, what are we gonna do? Do you ever, anybody watch college football? Yeah, got some football, some football people. Uh, I, I watch occasionally. So, you know my favorite part of the game? The tunnel. The tunnel before the game. You watch those, you watch those guys? They're in the tunnel and they're waiting to come out to play. Right, they're waiting to come. That's my favorite part. They have their run out song which is amazing. They choose the song that gets them all pumped up. You can feel the adrenaline come through the television. And as I watch them, and they're ready to go, and they can't stop moving, and they're doing one of these, and they're jumping, and they're standing in all of that energy coming through, that pretty soon, I'm like, I could probably play football. If they gave me a helmet, I could probably do that with them. 
knowing full well that what's about to happen to them on the field, if it had happened to me, we would need to call the ambulance and then the police because I just got assaulted. But, but I feel their energy, that readiness. They're gonna, they are about, and they know there's a 50-50 chance once they cross that threshold of the tunnel that they're gonna lose. They run head on into a 50-50 chance that you're gonna lose and it's gonna be televised and everybody's gonna be critical and you can't hold them back. You couldn't stop them if you tried. Christians, shouldn't we approach life like that? Because we have a 100% chance that we're not on the losing side. We have a 100% chance of God moving within us, calling us out of the church. Why don't we bust out of these doors like those players bust out of that tunnel, willing to give their very best to have a 50% chance that they're going to lose? And we walk around and say, we have the good news. We walk around as if we have the mediocre news. We should be bursting. The good news should burst from our bodies, so much so that, that people should feel it on us the way I feel like I could suit up and I could play with them. They get me so jazzed. That's my favorite part. We are called to dream big dreams because our God is a big dreamer. And we get invited into that. We get invited into that process. I get to drive kids to church on Wednesday night. I get to do that. I get to hear Matthew talk about the difference that the church is making in his life. We get to serve at the sharing kitchen and see people be fed, not just in body, but in spirit as they get community. We get to celebrate and worship through song using our gifts. We get to do the work of the church. We shouldn't even have to think about, as Richard said, using 10% of our time and talents and treasures because we get to do this. It's our life's work. What we do for a job is what we do for a living. What we do for living is what God has called us to do. Amen? That's what Paul is telling Timothy in this coaching letter. Paul warns Timothy, Timothy that if you're only after money, that you'll self-destruct in no time. There's always gonna be someone who has more than you, better than you, brighter than you, shinier than you, always. The minute you think you've made it, somebody will show you up. The word says lust for money will bring trouble and nothing but trouble and can cause you to lose your footing in our faith. I don't want to live with regret. As I lay down each night, I don't want to look back on my day with regret. I want to look back on my day with gratitude of how God used me and how God used our church. I want to look back with gratitude on how people came in contact with me that way and I pray that they know Jesus a little better because just like the adrenaline flowing out of those players, I hope Jesus flows out of my words, my actions, my desires, my life doesn't always work. But if we all tried with that same intensity, 
if we all tried with that same love of one another, that's the work of the church. Paul writes to Timothy words of warning. He says, run from your life from all of that, meaning the love of money and all the things, all the things we place so much value on. Paul wants Timothy to value the things of God because they they will give us this content that we yearn for. And Paul says, right, he writes, pursue a righteous life. What comes to mind when I say the word righteous? If you were in the 80s, it had a whole nother thing. It's righteous. What comes to mind? That was just for you, Hillary. What comes to mind when I say the word righteous? I'm going to be honest and say that I have had negative thoughts about the word righteous based on my life experience. The dictionary defines righteous as morally right or justifiable, virtuous. The righteous people that I have come across in my life have been haughty and overbearing and judgmental. That's just me, though. They've presented themselves as someone who's better than others because of their self-righteous attitude. And if I'm honest, they have not been people that I wanted to be like. But listen to the rest of the sentence. Scripture always corrects us. Scripture always brings us back around. It's like hitting the, hitting the berm. Ooh, we gotta adjust. Scripture says, pursue a righteous life, a life of wonder, faith, steadiness, and courtesy. If anything would bring me a feeling of content at the end of my day, it's if I laid down and I said, Lord, today was filled with wonder and faith and steadiness and courtesy. If anything would foster a sense of accomplishment in my call as a disciple of Jesus Christ, it would be to lead a life full of wonder, of faith, of steadiness, of courtesy. Sounds delightful. Run hard and fast in the faith, the word says. Seize the eternal life, the life you are called to. What life are you called to, my friends? What life could offer you the feeling of peace and gratitude and contentment? We work so hard. What are we working for? What do you pour your life into? Are you working for all of, of the things that, you're, that your life tells you you need to have? I hate Pinterest. I hate it. It's wonderful, and I hate it. Because uh, if you're gonna do anything and you look on Pinterest, it's all of these amazing things people do, and then I go, well, I can't do that. What am I working for? Am I working for a Pinterest life? Or am I working for a life of wonder and courtesy and gratitude? The best things, even the best things in this life are not eternal. They will wither and die. But our eternal lives, well, they're eternal. It's right in the name. Everything about the gospel tells us to live a simple life. But we know that the simple life is so complicated. It's easy to get jobs and save money and buy things. It's more difficult to achieve a life of wonder, faith, love, steadiness, and courtesy. You just have to decide the price of your life. Jesus did. 
Will we strive for something momentary or will we seize the eternal life offered to us? Because we can do it now. See, salvation isn't a, a, just a great escape plan out of hell. Salvation can, can change your here and now moment. Will we live into God's call for ourselves? Will we live into our call as the church? What will we do with our resources to help others? If we are the hands and feet of Jesus, if we are the hands and, and agents of change that God uses, do our lives reflect that? Does our church reflect that? Do we trust in God as God guides us into new ministry and mission with each moment of our lives, with each decision we make? Who guides us? What's our why? Do we surrender to God's spirit? Will we allow the future moment to dictate our present choices or will we allow our eternity to dictate our now? Will we keep an eye on the coming question from God? What did you do with what I gave you? How did you use your gifts? How did you bless others? I'd like us to close with uh, the words of the prayer of St. Francis. It's beautiful and life-changing. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is faith, or where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Amen.